Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I run a small PR practice called ThoughtLeadershipPR.com, helping business leaders, academics, entrepreneurs, and public figures become better known as experts in their field. If you like this podcast, please tell your colleagues, share it on social media. That's how others find it. Well, this episode, I'm joined by Martha Dillon. She's editor of It's Freezing in LA, a publication that covers environmental issues. We're going to hear all about that. Martha's also an engineer, uh, doesn't come from a journalism background, and works on green policies. So tell me about the publication, It's Freezing in LA, um, how it's put together. Is it print only? Is it print and online? Um, And what are the readership figures? Yeah, so it's Freezing LA, or IFLA as we kind of call it, is um, a biannual print magazine. We also do a lot of online sort of bits and pieces and um, events and workshops, stuff like that. And we're sort of a media collective more than anything. We're a kind of group of people from very different professional personal backgrounds. And we came together in 2018 because we all felt we were doing really interesting and different and difficult, complex things in our own professional backgrounds that weren't being shared between us and and that kind of depth and complexity of conversation um, wasn't happening at all. Um, So a few of us had had various bits of experience in in magazine making and creative media and um, IFLA basically formed from that and we now I don't have the exact figures, but we sell sort of tens of thousands of copies every year and um, have a really great um, events visitorships, particularly in the pandemic, virtually as well. And who is your audience? So our audience is kind of young professionals, e sort of 20s to 40s, mainly based in the UK. But we've got quite a big EU and US readership as well. And they're people who already are concerned and invested in climate issues. We're not in the business of trying to convert anyone or, or teach anyone anything. Our premise is that we want to push conversations that are already happening forward and make them better. Yeah, I definitely think there's a there's a gap for a magazine like that. I'm I'm really pleased that I heard about it. So can you give us an overview then of how it's put together in terms of whether there are any regular slots or pages or sections that you particularly um, as editor commission for? Yeah, so our process is we will typically come up with a theme, so an area we think has a lot of conversations that we don't fully understand within it, and then do a, a split process of commissioning and submissions as well. Um, so myself and my editorial team will have a big meeting where we talk about what we've all been reading and working on and, and think are important questions that haven't been resolved well or aren't being covered well in, in other media platforms, and also talk about people we think are writing interesting things, put together lots of briefs and, and, and commission that way. And we also do a really big call for submissions as well. So we'll advertise that on our mailing list and our social media and um, look for people who have their own thoughts around that theme. And we find that split process is a really effective way. Um, you know, it's not an atypical way of running a magazine, but particularly for climate, where there are so many unheard voices um, and so much going on in, in different, different countries, different nations, different fields. Um, it's a really phenomenal way to to really find new new voices and new new ideas that we wouldn't as editors come up with ourselves. So you do run a lot of contributed content, i.e. people um, writing their own content. 
yeah we don't we don't really have regular slots we sort of you know we'll have a kind of resources section and, and probably a couple of reviews in there every issue but um it's, it's basically all essays and features it's, it's more like a collection of essays than anything else at the moment and how big is the team so our team we've got a core team of six who do run the kind of everyday operations a lot of our online work um and our kind of the art team and then we have a sort of board of 10 editors who help come up with different ideas and, and edit the pieces and and that's actually you know maybe something people might be interested in because climate is quite specialist in lots of ways we have a sort of dual editing process where we'll have an editor who knows the area really well work with the writer on the first round to make sure the content is accurate and and then we'll have a second editor who's not from that field at all who'll then do the second edit um and can be like i don't understand this this isn't a kind of reference i know or you know this is too technical or whatever it might be um so so our whole process is quite dynamic of, of really trying to play across disciplines and and sort of come up with writing that's that's exploring ideas that we just aren't hearing in other places yeah so how does the planning process work? do you like a traditional magazine do you have a monthly planning meeting or anything like that yeah because we only print biannually um we have a lot of time which is lovely so we yeah we have a kind of staggered process of sort of five four five months before the new issue we'll we'll have lots of planning meetings we'll have lots of brainstorming we'll do a lot of reading it's my favorite part of the issue um and then yeah we'll sort of gradually have a kind of handover through the editorial process with working with writers moving it to the art team kind of stagger it that way until until we get close to publishing okay okay now we a lot of our listeners are prs or freelance journalists who pitch stories in so how many pitches do you do you get pitched to a lot by either PRs or freelance journalists? Yeah we do lots of PRs year round um, for our course submissions we get about 300 pitches um, but we only print about 15 articles so it's that is that 300 pitches uh, for each not not per day or is that <laughs> per issue Okay, I have had editors on here who say they get 300 pitches a day so I wouldn't <laughs> so what is the typical way would you say that a pitch could materialise in, into coverage, say, for example, from a PR or from a member of the public who's trying to promote something? I think from the PR perspective, we don't promote products or projects as a single article. Um, but often what we find a really nice connection is when um, we are made aware of people doing interesting things who one of our writers might want to talk to later. Um, so rather than being pitched a kind of headline or a news story, we we are sort of interested in, in kind of making connections and then being able to sort of pair that with features later. For journalists, I think my personal bugbear with pitches is that we get a lot of very open-ended pitches, you know, I will explore this question. And actually, us, we want to know what this, the answer is, which is a difficult ask. But there's so little space in our publication that we really want to know what what kind of new idea is, is coming through, basically. Um, so we really like pitches which say, I've been looking at this. I think no one's talking about the fact that we X, Y, Z or someone has isn't doing something. Um, I'll explore it. You know, and then typical pitch through this. And then this is my experience. Um, so I think I think I would say what a successful pitch looks like is someone who's thought about it and someone has a has an idea that we haven't thought of um, rather than an open ended question. And do you pay your writers? Yes, we do. We pay £150 for an article. Okay, that's that's good Good to hear because not a lot do. And what is your business model? Is it advertising or is it sponsorship? Sales mainly. Um, we basically funded by sales and subscriptions. Um, we also make a bit of money through tickets for our events um, and we are just starting to look more at advertising. Yeah, we're looking for placements for our autumn issue. Yeah, at the okay. Is um, are the readers of your blog similar to the readers of the magazine? I think so, yeah. Um, more international, but otherwise um, pretty similar. And 
um, I think a little bit older, actually. Um, I think, you know, we have, we do have a digital version, but we have this sort of quite, um, I think, very beautiful print print publication. Um, so a lot of that sort of taps into a cultural um, a cultural trend more. And I think the blog is, is for people who just want to sort of get get the words more quickly. Um, and we like having that balance. But yeah, I think I think our blog readers are maybe a little bit older, actually, because um, they're not so linked into our events and our kind of online presence. And is it the same writers who write for the magazine as write for the blog? Um, yeah, a combination. Um, something that we've really enjoyed with the blog is is using it to um, sort of support younger writers. Um, so working with them on a blog piece and then um, from that, working with them in the print magazine. And um, that's just a nice way for us to kind of get to know people and, and really understand what they're interested in and, and what they might want to write about so we can pair them up with topics later. Yeah, yeah. Now let's um, go back to the, the, the topic of pitching, which is um, the favourite topic from our listeners. So do you have any pitching no-nos or pitching advice to either to PRs or members of the public who are trying to get um, themselves mentioned or their business mentioned? I think it's difficult. I, I feel very, I feel both very aware that people get very disparate pitching advice and sort of don't, you know, of course I have personal preference, you know, when I read it, but I, I don't think it's necessarily useful to kind of confuse people more. So I try to read pitches with sympathy to the fact that people have been told there are different styles of doing it. And I find it very fascinating actually seeing how people phrase them differently. Um, I think I would say, I, I do find pitches that are too short difficult. Again, you know, we don't have unlimited funds. We don't have unlimited pages. So we really do want to know what we're going to get um, if we if we commission someone. And of course, we, we will ask more questions if we need to. But in that first pitch, I think Anona would be going too short, just saying, I'm going to write about bears in Siberia here are some of my samples yeah I just have no idea what what quality we will get out of out of that collaboration I guess in terms of encouragement you know we really encourage people from all all levels of experience to apply to us we found some of our most interesting ideas have come from people who aren't journalists and who haven't got a huge amount of writing experience or people who for whom English isn't their first language so their work isn't isn't um getting to an English-speaking audience so I guess I guess I would I would encourage people to apply to us um, if you are from one of those backgrounds and just say that you know we can we can find translators we can find editors who who speak your language um, but sort of transparency around that just makes it more useful for us to be able to accommodate it yeah and in your eyes what is a story what sort of things are you looking for it's a really good question I think taking it from what a lot of media platforms do with climate is they will report news around climate and they will report sort of environmental trends and sometimes they'll report on what those trends are doing to communities and people and I think what we're interested in is the kind of lines across that which is you know what are those trends and that changes for society doing to other ways we think you know how is that changing literature how is that changing economics what does it mean for you know systems and and patterns that we're really used to so some of my favorite articles have been things where people have looked at the world around them and thought you know what what does climate change do to this um, how is this changing? And, and um, you know, an example being we had a really phenomenal article a few issues ago um, by someone from Sicily who um, just talked about fascism and how fascism had physically changed the ecology in, in, in places he'd grown up um, and what that meant now in terms of the environment changing through climate crisis. And that I just thought was really brilliant. It was saying there are so many ideas whirling around about this really big, complicated topic. What does, you know, what does it really mean, actually, to things I take for granted? So, so I think... I think that would I, I would say would be a place that we are really interested by just rethinking things people take for granted. Yeah, yeah. And your because your background isn't journalism. So how 
do you think that impacts your story choice? Do you think that's a positive? Or do you think that sometimes you struggle to understand what a story is? Yeah, I think I think that's 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 very likely a possibility. I think to answer the second part of your question first, I think definitely it, it affects my ability to understand to, to to find a story or to sort of yeah. I think maybe the thing I struggle most with is you know varieties of formats of stories because um, I'm not so versed in in the kind of multifaceted areas of journalism however um how we combat that is by having this big editorial board um with people from all different backgrounds lots of people who are media trained um, lots of people coming from science or, or wherever and i think that helps both keep us sort of relevant and and kind of professional and high quality but also means that we are constantly kind of playing with the medium in in a way that i, I find really exciting um i think on the other side i think where it's really important with climate is that because I'm working day to day in climate and I am training in it all the time, um, kind of at the front coalface, as it were, um, it means that I am more confident about the topic and I get insights into it that I wouldn't get otherwise. I'm not just sort of dipping in and out of topics. You know, I, I, that's the kind of premise of the magazine is that we're all we're all bringing you know real real knowledge to it we're all learning and having different professional spheres day to day which means we can we can bring in lots of new ideas all the time yeah and could you give some examples of um either really good pitches or really bad pitches and perhaps if they're good ones how they might have led to um some great coverage yeah um i mean yeah bad pitches we do we do get a lot of mixed quality pitches i think ones we've found quite funny have been ones where people have sort of brought climate change to us as a kind of new news story um and you know I said at the beginning we're not a publication there to sort of convince people with their people who already know it's happened so we find we've had quite a few being like there's this thing called sea level rise we need to write about this and, and so we're like yeah we know <laughs> that's why we started so I guess yeah I guess those are ones that that we sort of pretty pretty quickly don't don't follow up on um good pitches I don't know. I th- you know, to give it, so we've worked with um, an artist called Alice Bucknell a lot, um, who's American based in London. And she does really phenomenal work around um, a lot of her art is around sort of crypt- cryptocurrencies and digital modeling, digital art. Um, and she pitched to us um, this really beautiful piece, which we ran in our sixth issue, which was themed on greenwashing. Um, and she pitched it around the architecture of Silicon Valley companies and, and the buildings they were making for themselves and sort of Apple um, and Facebook and sort of how how they were using um sort of utopian designs to make themselves look green but also were you know doing xyz um that weren't very green and we loved her pitches because um she had this really fully formed really interesting idea and then she'd given us the examples of her writing and her art that sort of gave us such a flavor of of what her the way she'd breathe life into that idea and, and how she'd make it her own and it would be really sort of colourful and, and beautifully written and, and intricate. And just that that combination of, of a really nice idea, very simply put, and, and it didn't need a huge amount of explanation, but then with a real sense of who she was and, and why we might want to work with her. Um, and I'd say that that kind of pitch is, is just instantly a very easy one to say yes to because you just feel like you're in safe hands and you feel like you want to know more about it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. And what um, what other stories have you got coming up uh, in your ne- in your upcoming issues? Well, we are just at the moment um, finalising our 
um, list of articles for the autumn issue. Um, so, yeah, a little, a little bit up in the air, but we're looking at um, the theme of borders. So we want to explore borders, both in terms of people and materials crossing them. So we're going to do lots of work with Friends of the Earth and um, you know, various detention um, groups about about sort of climate refugees and, and what the definition of that is. But we're also going to look at borders in the sense of how they block ecology or how, you know, a border could be a marginal area, you know, in law, what does a border do? So yeah, we've got some we've got some really interesting things, I think. And it and it'll be time well with COP, the big climate conference in Glasgow in November. So we're going to try and do a lot of sort of advocacy around some of our articles as well, okay. which will be very exciting. So when you have when there are big events like that, like COP, do you have um your own reporters that you send there or do you use like wire copy and you know how do you cover a big event like that well because we're sort of more slow journalism and essays in our print publication we don't tend to kind of follow the story in the same way um but we do again because we all work in climate day to day um in, and in our other roles um we do sort of keep very tight tabs on things so yeah we'll have we'll definitely have people at cop and um we'll probably use our blog to do some more sort of live stream reporting there um but again we're not we're not reporters we're not doing descriptive journalism um so in many ways cop will be most interesting for us when it's over and when we're sort of trying to see what what happens from it and how people respond to it so just tell me a little bit about your policy your your work outside of the magazine what policy work do you work on yeah, so I'm trained as an engineer. I did civil and environmental engineering um, and I currently work at a engineering design firm and a lot of my work is on research and policy. So um, we look at how people who run portfolios of buildings or even just an individual building can um, align it with the climate crisis and um, sort of all, you know, all different crises. Um, so, for example, I work with local authorities. We do sort of energy modelling, carbon modelling to help them work out how they can meet their net zero goals. But I'll also work on a single building and looking at sort of, you know, do they need to build that building at all? Can they repurpose another space? They don't have to use lots of materials. How can they make sure that the building can sort of support local communities, okay. particularly if there's heat waves and, and sort of climate crisis? Ah, interesting. Interesting. And just one final question. Have you noticed, you know, with COVID and everything that there has been, uh, a greater interest in climate issues? I don't know. Um, I mean, I'd be interested to hear what you think. Um, I, you know, there was such a boom in 2019, which, you know, we definitely noticed. Um, I think we've we've been pleasantly surprised how little it's dropped off. I think for me, a really huge moment was in, in the summer, in the middle of COVID, when the NHS in the UK published um, climate emergency strategy in the middle of the pandemic and that was a real moment of you know people really understand that this isn't going away and and even in a pandemic it's still it still needs to be at top of the at the top of the agenda so I don't think I would say it's grown you know there have there have been policy steps um but also steps back um yeah I think it's evolved I wouldn't I wouldn't say I've seen a kind of hugely sharp trend either way though I'm sure there are lots of people who would argue for either one yeah uh, are there any other trends that you've noticed either um, with the media with people pitching to you in, in your work anything else that's worth noting I think I've noticed real lulls when um, yeah certainly in the UK which is where a lot of our people who pitch to us and our readers are based um, I've noticed real lulls when things have been opening up um, you know I think there really is that sense of, of, of people wanting to kind of see their friends and their loved ones and and I found that quite interesting and amongst our own team as well we've we've really found at periods of, of rules um, easing a little bit we've just not had energy to um, work as hard um, 
And what? how can readers uh, buy the magazine? So you can buy a magazine from magazine shops um, and sort of lots of galleries and things. We've got, I think there's a bit of a list on our website. Um, and yeah, if you go on our website, www.itsfreezinginla.com. Martha Dillon, editor of It's Freezing in LA. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Media Insider. Please share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're keen to get into the media or get your message and expertise more widely known, then visit thoughtleadershippr.com and see how I could help. Or find me on Twitter. Just search Helen Croydon. Good luck with your pitching. <laughs>